Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. Dave and Buster? <laughs> I'm going to give it to you, Buster. For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, Bobbo, and this is now. And yes, the show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey. No, we're not. And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me, for the first time, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether you like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. Uh, spoiler! Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here. Ah, fine. And I'm Richard Spate Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. And I did a little bit of Loki work in there. Okay, you know we're running out of time. Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say, accept it. You've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is Supernatural, then and now. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. I'm Richard Spade Jr. And we're talking about Season 1, Episode 18, Something Wicked. That's Episode 118 for the script nerds at home. There you go. Uh, Well, let's get into it. All right. (laughs) So, Dad sends the brothers coordinates for Fitchburg, Wisconsin, where children are becoming ill and Old Fitchburg. Good old Fitchburg. Started by the Fitches. Old Jimmy Fitchburg. (laughs) You know what they call forks in Fitchburg? What's that? Fitch forks. (laughs) (laughs) You know they call icebergs in Fitchburg? Ice. The two bergs just (laughs) cancel each other out. In Fitchburg, Wisconsin, where children are becoming ill and falling into comas, they head to the hospital. Bummer. Yeah, I know. Big bummer. Well, they meet Dr. Heidecker while posing as officials from the Center for Disease Control. Who does? Uh, Sam and Dean. Oh, Sam and Dean. Yeah. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam and Dean uh, pay a visit to the home of the latest victim. There, they find the handprint of a supernatural being. This triggers a... Which I might say... Yeah. It's the handprint of the supernatural being Mm. is about a foot long and right on the windowsill. The Mm. fact that dad didn't go, hey, there's a creepy clue right on the windowsill makes me question how careful dad surveyed the scene. Yeah, it's it's the world's largest clue. I mean, it definitely is a, it's a (laughs) Scooby-Doo level (laughs) clue. Hey, Sammy, get over here. Look what I uncovered. (laughs) What do you think this might be? Uh, Well, this this triggers a memory for Dean and we flash back to a hotel room when they were kids, John makes Dean promise to watch out for Sam and to not leave the room. He'll be back in a few days. After the flash... A few days? That's just bad parenting. That's a bad parent. Yeah. I mean, look, he's not the best parent. A few days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after the flashback, Dean tells Sam that this is a creature their dad has encountered in the past, and they were sent here to finish the job. Um, yeah. It's, this one's it's personal for Dean. This time it's personal. They pull up, pull up to a local motel, and as they're unpacking the car, Dean tells Sam that they're hunting the Striga. It's something dad... Wait, a a local motel? Not one of those foreign motels that are usually dotted throughout small town America? No, it's a a local motel. (laughs) Just uh, situated locally. Interesting. Yeah, right there in Fitchburg. So the Striga is something that dad faced off with years ago, but it got away. As they check into the hotel, they meet a young boy named Michael. Dean sees Michael interact with his younger brother. This, of course, reminds Dean of his relationship with Sam, his younger brother. Why? Are they related? Yeah. Oh, they're related. Yeah. yeah. In the motel Spoiler alert. In the motel room, Sam is doing research and confirms what Dean said, that this is Striga, an ancient type of Albanian witch that sucks the life breath out of people. Michael's little... <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you're thinking yeah. right now, Rob. You're thinking, oh, so Rich is a Striga. Yeah. No, I, 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 that's why I call you Striga. You've been slowly sucking the life breath out of me for years. Yeah, but you know what you know, the difference what? is? I'm, I'm not Albanian. Right. But I like it. You could say, you could have said an ancient type of Albanian rich that uh, sucks the life breath <laughs> out, out of, of Rob. People. Out of only Rob. Uh, Michael's little brother falls prey to the mysterious illness. And Dean gets the idea to use Michael as bait since he's likely the next target. Then Dean tells Sam the rest of the story of how when he left him alone in the hotel room, 
then went to play video games. Uh, he, he returned to find Striga trying to take his life breath. That's why I don't let my kids play video games. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely a lesson learned there. Uh, that's the takeaway. Live, leave people dead. Yeah. Dean shot, but dad arrived right in the nick of time. However, the creature got away. Dean has always regretted this and is why he now has to follow his dad's orders. Sam does more research and finds a photo of Dr. Heidecker from the 1890s. That's when the boys connect that he is the Striga. May I say it was a nice little uh, dip into the memory bank seeing Sam scroll through some microfiche. Oh, my God. Yeah. With the uh, it's a cool shot with the sort of the, the words on his face. But, yeah, we did, people don't do that anymore, do they? <laughs> no, they, I, you know, I don't think I don't think children today, any Gen Zers, they would know microfiche, macrofiche or fiche in no general. Fiche. I think no. they need <laughs> No, they wouldn't. I remember one time when one of the microfiche uh, machines at my university broke and I was really bummed out. But somebody consoled me. They said, don't worry, there's a lot of fish in the sea. <laughs> so I, I, I knew I had another sh- shot at it. You felt like a, just a small fish in a big pond at your university. A, mi- a microfiche, if you will. <laughs> well, they end up setting the trap with Michael. The creature comes in for him and the brothers are able to blow it away. The children at the hospital start to recover. And the Striga is now dead. Well, uh, Rich, to, to to talk about this episode, I think that you and I are what? not enough. What? No, I think we're playing. No, we need we need a third. Oh, to talk through this episode, we're bringing in a what? very special guest. A sp- we are, spe- yeah, special reviewer. Oh, it's it's a su- supernatural alum who we don't know yet because she wasn't on season one. We, you and I, have never met this person. No, this we've met her fit. lots. She's a really good friend. Oh, but, but in two thousand five, we didn't know her. And she but, likes us both equally? Well, no. we'll see. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's the lovely and talented Kim Rhodes. Hi, Kim Rhodes. Kim. Hi, hi, hi. I have a favorite. I don't, don't say it. I don't, don't need tell, to hear this right us. now. I'll never I can't share live with it. it. It changes occasionally, just to let you know. <laughs> that's the smartest move ever. Uh, yeah, that's good. I want to tell anybody, this is an, a podcast, so you guys can't see what we see, but Kim Rose is bathed in a light that only an angel can produce. Well, let's get right into it. So we're talking about something wicked and Ooh, what the, the what are we first, thinking what are we talking about the, fir- the first thing that i like want to brooms say and stew and is kim did you notice erica carroll playing yes. a small part in the playground at the beginning oh, of the episode was she the mama who, yeah. Was, yeah. who was like it's very sad this is very sad yeah yeah no i didn't that was what? eric Erica carroll awesome hi erica yeah who comes back of course to play uh, another role yeah but this yeah but first- rob Yep. No, it's not the first. We've already seen her in season one. She played a nurse in a hospital several episodes ago. And we what? and we pointed it out. We're like, Erica Carroll was right. the nurse at the, rece- at the reception nurse at a hospital. And and somebody CC'd or you know, tweeted at her about that. And she said, oh, and then you come back again for the character you play later. She goes, oh, I also show up a third time. Wow. This, so this is number two for her. And what I think is interesting is a lot of actors – especially Vancouver-based actors, ended up doing more than one Supernatural, more than one character sure, over, right. the, over the years. Yeah. But she did her t- the two different characters very close to each other in season one, which I find really trippy. Interesting. Yeah, really trippy. Well, we love Erica, and she'll, she'll come on our show later when she plays her part that sticks. Right, exactly. But now let's focus on something wicked. Yeah, it was wicked. And, and that thing is Rob's mustache. And it- <laughs> what? <laughs> did you just, I've been did wanting you... to make a something wicked joke for the last five minutes and Rob getting nothing from Rob. So I took it on my own. Um, anyway, uh, let, Rob, you, you first. No, actually, not Rob first. Forget you, Rob. Oh, Kim first. Yes. Let's start, Kim. Okay. And, and by the way, Kim, yes. we're honest here. Yeah. We, uh, it's like whatever you think, you think. Let's talk about it. What do you think? Okay. Listen, broad strokes. What do you think of the episode? Um, well, like I have, I don't know if you know this, but I like to have a personal rating system that I send out into this world Ooh. on all levels. Oh. Yeah. I have, I, I call it my tattoo rating system where oh. the top is a full body uh, work of art that people pay to see and you have made arrangements to preserve oh. your skin after your demise. And the uh, the bottom of the rating would be like a home done attempt at the Tasmanian devil peeking out of the crack of your ass done with ballpoint pen ink. Right. <laughs> that's my, that's my, and I would, I would rate, Yuck. 
I would write something wicked, like a nice, uh, like a nice, maybe a Japanese watercolor koi fish on the upper arm. Okay. Wow. Like a significant. Like there's something there. There's something there, but you can cover it up if you need to. Right. But it's pretty. Well, you're because because that koi fish sounds colorful and pretty, right? Like it's. It's attractive. It's not surprising. You know right. what it is. Yeah. Uh, you've probably seen it before, but you enjoy it anyway. Yes. Good. Accurate. Good. Thank you. May I also tip my cap to your rating system, which really allows for a much more intricate review than our, our rating, our rating system. system. What's your rating is, system? We give it uh, a, a, a certain kind of beard. So facial a, hair. A, a oh. really, yeah. So a really good one is a full groomed beard. Um, and I thought good was the, I thought the best was like full bushy, right? And then groomed is the next step down. Like a Jason uh, Mann's would be the best or no? I don't know. For me, it's groomed. You got it's a full long beard, but it's like but it's groomed. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's a Jason Mann's kind of. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So what and would then, you what would you rate this episode as on your beard dar? I would say like an extra bushy mustache. Okay. So it's like there's there's something there. It perhaps needs a little trim. Yeah. You know, I've seen better, but it's not nothing. That's facial we're, hair. We're, we're similar. I was going to give it a Bob Cratchit, which is the sideburns that go into a mustache. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, so, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Sure. But very similar to Rob's. It's like the amount of hair is probably the same because these are neatly trimmed. Your mustache is bushy. Uh-huh. So I'm going I'm to go with the Bob Cratchit, and, and I'll sure. tell you why. And then, Rob, I want you to tell me why. And then, Kim, you got to elaborate on the reasoning. I For a lot of what what I loved about it was the creepy nature of the of the, of the villain. Yeah. Was like, really cool visually, yeah. very cool looking. And mm-hmm. I love the way it played off kids' fears because, like, I had a visceral reaction watching it because that was your fear as a kid. If, if, if twigs were rubbing up against your window, it just scared the daylights out of me back in Nashville when there was weather and wind and thunderstorms sure. and that kind of thing. It played into that. I also liked the sort of weird sibling element to it. That, you know, it, the monster would get one kid and then come after number two, which mm-hmm. sort of created like a real looming mm-hmm. danger. Mm-hmm. Part, part of what I didn't like is I didn't necessarily think that people in the town were freaked out enough about this systemic loss of child life mm. and hospitalization of children. Mm-hmm. And I also thought like the mom, fine, fine actress, the mom, it's not about her, it, but I think the, the, the way they had the mom be like, I'm really frazzled. And then a strange guy in a leather coat's like, let me give you a lift. She's like, okay, <laughs> cool. I'll leave my son here with the yeah. other creepy guy in the other <laughs> when, biker outfit. Yeah, when children are dying right now anyway, so I'm not gonna be overly productive. <laughs> And she runs a motel where all good people hang out. You know what I mean? Like, like it just a couple of those things kind of bumped for me in the in the overall story. So that's why it, it became a not a full beard. Uh, Kim, walk me through your reasoning. Yeah, I am. Um, I thought too much, and when I'm watching something that my brain gets ahead of, I I do that. I think too much. I'm like, oh, that are we? We can do spoilers on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, the old lady, not the witch. The doctor, definitely the bad guy. Uh, the the thing, not dead yet. Ah, there. Now the things that like it. It just was one second behind my awareness, and it made me. It made me a little like I knew it was coming. And then there's also the little things like I don't know. I, I thought of you, Rich, when I was was watching this because I've started the rewatch now. Like the twigs didn't hit the window. The whole tree just rotated back and forth, so you could tell that. <laughs> yes, so it's like even. And the director's going even windier, so he's like grips like shaking it even harder. Because <laughs> the whole back tree then, was we're, just we're... slamming. There was no wind. It was yeah. just boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> Cut. Hey, Jerry, a little light. Lighter on the uh, limb slam. <laughs> Sorry, exactly. I mean back then probably smoking. Yeah. Back to one. Back to one. You know, yeah. you know, you said something about uh, that. You knew the doctor was going to be the bad guy, or yeah. you, you know, you anticipated that. Yeah, I did too. And you know, when I knew, I mean, I guess it's a. It was a kind of a. Uh, maybe I picked up it when he walked slowly through the frame, yes. and the frame lingered on his face, Bingo. and yeah. you realized Bingo. how Same. unnaturally quaffed he was. That's when and I just and he was just weirdly static, like yeah, mm, yeah. On yeah. that sort of on that shot where the, she's like, "Good night, doctor." Yeah. He said yeah. nothing and turned and like robotically walked, right. and then they pan off and find Jared and Jensen about right. like. That well, dude's the bad guy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the guy. You know? I also want to know how how the old lady's cross accidentally got upside down. I spent yeah. an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how the cross... <laughs> 
accidentally got upside down, and twice the staff of the hospital left for the night, leaving this poor old woman stuck yeah. in her fucking wheelchair. Yeah, no, yeah, the well. boys can get got in there real easy. Yeah, you're right. All that needed to do was just like just give it a touch and she, it flipped her. How did it get? How did that happen? What was happening? Why is my dream catcher glued to my ceiling? I don't know. Stuff happens with these <laughs> objects that should not be like that. My favorite was how easy it was for him to correct it. Yeah. He, like, tapped it. To like, touch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with everything you guys just said. Um, I will add that uh, the moment to me that I always think is funny is when people say the name of, of the show or the movie in the movie or show. And this is the first time I, I someone says Supernatural. Sam's like, you know, this might not be anything Supernatural. And for me, it always takes me out of it when they say the name. You know what I mean? Like, these aren't yeah. Star Wars, Luke. Thus the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I thought that was kind of cheesy. But, um, yeah, and uh, and also I just I didn't feel like baby Sam and Dean looked like Sam and Dean. Hmm. Oh. That was just a little, normally the, the casting is so good about that kind of thing, but I just didn't buy that that was actual young Sam and young Dean oh. in the flashback. Gotcha, See, gotcha. Again, I was thinking too hard on that. I'm like, uh, somebody's never been poor because you don't f***ing pour out scabettios. You I, don't I pour thought... them in the garbage when you're poor. I blame the director for that. Oh. I, because I saw that, I'm like, that, first of all, th there's, okay, let's talk about that scene, Kim, because there's several things in that scene that bump for me. So mad. Number one, when Sam goes, I want Lucky Charms, and he goes, we're out. He goes, I saw the box. I'm like, he turns around. The box is on the counter. It wasn't like Sam, like, I mean, Dean did nothing to hide that. I'm like, why wouldn't you just, like, put it in a drawer or do something if you're really trying to hide the thing? Yeah. And number two, when he dumped the spaghetti, goes, I thought the same thing. I'm like, dumbass, what you going to eat? You're the one who said you saved yourself a bowl. Like, you guys are broke. You're going to yeah. dump out. The spaghettios. I, I the only reason why you do that is to dump them out and go there. Now you're not getting any food or something like yeah. like you're making some statement. Yeah. But I thought the same thing. I'm like, what a weird choice to have him dump out the food. Right. And so so the idea is that Dean no. saw the monster and Jeffrey Dean shoots the monster, but I guess he doesn't die. Doesn't die because the monster has to be mid eating the kid. And when he looked up and saw Jensen or young De young Dean, uh -huh. he immediately was no longer eating. So gotcha. he was no longer killable. Okay. Uh, and the other thing, the one thing I thought was interesting about that too, Rob, and we're circling around this scene, is dad made this big thing about don't leave your brother. But Dean leaving is not why that monster got in. Right. Because Sam was in a different room. He was in a bedroom. Yeah. That monster would have come in that window anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't, these kids who have been uh, absconded or, you know, yeah. you know, eaten by this monster or made sick by this monster in other stories in that episode, none of them were by themselves. Like the kid in the mm -hmm. teaser yeah. was upstairs. His dad was downstairs. And yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't mean... I, I thought Dean's that was a fault. weird thing to sort of hang your hat on, like, Dean. Well, Dean thought you, it was his fault. You dropped the ball. Kid. And then that's what he says. was sorting through as an adult, you know? And that's, I Jeffrey, think the, the takeaway is it's not your fault, Dean. That was a little, that also to me was a little heavy handed. I was like, and also to, 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 to blow some smoke up some non-present asses for a moment, Jensen and Jared are good enough actors so that you don't need to spoon feed every ounce of here's where the trauma came from right right they can play i'm carrying some shit without you having to see every single second of it we don't need to we don't need to monologue their past and i felt mm -hmm. like that was a little it it pulled me away as a parent because mm -hmm. i was so deeply like dude you are you're up now. You're not reacting in a way that we're later going to have to forgive. You are fucking up by blaming your kids for like you aren't you don't have a better mental capacity to handle this monster hunting by now yeah. than to blame your kids. Mm. Yeah. Well, he's just not the best. He's not the best father, but he uh, he tries. You know, he tries. It's, it's hard. Well, out there. to dig dig deep on that a little bit, not to be overly nerdy here, but I always felt like in the biblical parallel here, he likes. Dad likes Dean better. Oh, I always thought. Wow. So that, so that, like him flipping out about, and maybe only, maybe that's, maybe that's why he's harder on him because he feels like you're me. You should know what I do. Right. Like you know, I'm requiring you to think like I think, even though you're a boy. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like in the knowing the story for 15 seasons and having been around those characters as we all have for so many years, it always seemed like Sammy got blown off by Dad and left in a hotel room by himself constantly while Dean and Dad went off to fight and hunt. So that it seemed, I, I thought Dad's reaction seemed 
I'm, I guarantee you I'm going to get taken to school yeah. by real fans who know this better than I do. That's why I'm that not talking. That was just my gut check. Yeah. Well, I'm Rob Benedict, and this is what I think. <laughs> um, and also, was the old woman blind in the hospital? No, she was sleeping with her peepers open. But didn't didn't you didn't you think she had she was blind? I thought she was no. blind. She was sleeping with her peepers open. <laughs> Man, I know those... she said that. Li- I know she said that line, Kim. But I like, but say well, it again. I enjoy it so much. I was sleeping with my peepers open. <laughs> it's better than well, sleeping they, with your peeper out. You know what I'm saying? They definitely um, were uh, they were cloudy. They're very cloudy looking. That's she had terrible cataracts. Like yeah. don't bury the headlines. She doesn't have whatever internal problems. She has cat- cataracts. Yeah. Because Dean leaned so close to her. Yeah. And she still and even when she talked to him, she kind of had that thousand yard stare. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, oh, she's bl- she's blind. And they kind of overexplained. So like, how did she we're know here. that her cro- a crucifix was? That's what I'm bleeding to. How did she <laughs> I know? No, I think she is blind. a monster. She was not. No, she was not blind. She just was. She just was one of those people that can sleep with their eyes wide open. That are that are milky white, milky white eyeballs. I think she is a monster, and and they just maybe there's come a back story to that went on yeah. in, a par- in a parallel universe. That was our A story. That yeah. they just. But as it is, it was just a, a horrible mislead. Well, no, because remember, at the, when the first time Dean saw her, she turned around and looked at him. Oh, she turned yeah. around and gave the evil glare. Yeah. I am evil. Fix my cross. Uh, but wasn't wasn't she looking at him as if to say, "I hear something, but I can't make it out because I'm blind." <laughs> I just, I, I, I just, it never. Let's let's say I don't disagree. It's just that had not been my assumption. Well, uh, I'm definitely wrong because the woman knew she had an upside down cross on her wall, so I'm wrong. Um, the uh, what'd you guys think of the boy? The the boy uh, who's kind of a smart ass who then comes around at the end. Nice job. Yeah, oh, I thought he, yeah. he was good. Good actor. Good little actor. Nice job. Yeah, good actor. Yeah, um, did, did a nice job and and had some nice moments. Like you take care of your brother, so would I. Like yeah, some yeah. really yeah. sweet stuff. That was sweet. I I, I wondered if he's uh, still acting because he was really really good little actor. Well, you know who else did a really good job is our our co-host today, Rich, Kim Rhodes. Kim Rhodes it nailed was... it with the review. You've reestablished an entire new review system. Yeah, oh, good. Yeah. I'm 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 happy to be then 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 bring me back just in case you're like you, you know what this episode needs is a tattoo rating system. And absolutely. I will... no listen, you will be back, Kim. I mean, like it or not, this is yeah. what we're doing. We're bringing back cool people who are involved in the show. So, because Jody Mills, when is Jody Mills' first episode? 5, season 5. Right. We're not we're not waiting to season 5 to have Kim Rhodes on a lot. That's exactly. my point. Thank this you. is how we get to get you and some other cool people involved in this podcast because the fans, they get tired of a lot of Robin Rich Jibber jabber, you know what I mean? They need some other people. And I have to thank you because um I am I am now re-binging. I'm now into episode oh like four of season two because once I watch this, I'm re-binging again. So thank I will you. be much more equipped to answer questions at conventions. Great. Uh, uh, Great. I'll just say you, you seem pretty damn equipped for this podcast, but yeah, now I now you see I see what you're well, saying. I already the, I already can't wait. I can't wait till the next time you're on. So please yeah, good. Kim Rhodes, everybody, thank you so much, Kim. We appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, guys, hold on. We're coming right back. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance, you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and 12 Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. 
Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance, and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Here it's magic. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. Wow, dude, for starters, uh, I could just listen to Kim talk about the phone book for an hour and a half. She's so entertaining. She's so entertaining. Uh, I love the uh, the tattoo rating uh, review, and uh, she just looks lovely. She's a lovely person. She's lovely and fun and just cracks me up. So awesome to have her. We will we'll have, have her, her back. back for sure. Speaking of having somebody back. Yeah. We have a guest we've had before, and why? Because the man knows everything about the show. Yeah, and he's been a producer on Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, The Crossing, AP Bio, The Lost Symbol, and 241 episodes of Supernatural. Which is funny to think that that's not all of them. (laughs) But that's a lot. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Todd Ehrenauer. All right, we have a great guest, a returning guest, a recurring character on our show. Uh, Please give it up for producer extraordinaire, Todd Ehrenhauer. Hello, Todd. Hey, how are you guys? Good, man. Good. good, man. Oh, we said good, man, at the same time. Good, man. Jinx. So we're, 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 we're throwing you right into the end of season one. We're talking about something wicked. I know we're asking a lot for you to go back in your memory 15 years, but do you remember closing in on the end of season one, what the vibe on the set was? Did it feel like, you know, the machine was humming? Did you know yet that you were picked up for additional episodes? Or what was, what was the vibe at this time towards the end of season one? Interesting. This was a time where we had already been picked up for the back half of the season because the first half we were picked up for, I think it was pilot plus 12, pilot plus 10. I don't remember what the initial pickup was, but we had gotten the the back half of the pickup, which this episode was uh, in the back half. So we knew that we had the whole season. What we didn't know at this point, there were so many things that were up in the air, not just uh, as your normal run of the first year show, just worried about everything and the unknowns, ratings, whatever. We didn't know if there was going to be a network. We didn't know what was happening with right. WB. Because oh. this was, we were on the WB for the first year. And during our first year, actually, we we went through a couple of different executives that we were getting notes from during our run. So, Oh, that had to be weird. Yeah, we knew something was afoot. Something was happening behind the scenes. So I got to ask a question about that. So when you're getting notes, you're, you got big bosses swapping at the top. Are the notes dramatically different? Like is one guy like, hey, dad, let's, let's Dean more Sammy. And then the next guy's like, ah, you know, more Sammy, less Dean. Uh, no, in, in those regards, they, there was a time in the earlier episode that I did the podcast with you guys. I talked about the being a tight turnaround and getting notes very quickly and going through cuts very quickly. There was a time during that quick turnaround where we weren't getting notes fast enough, or we thought we were, we were under the understanding that we were getting network notes. We got network notes. And then after locking and moving forward with the rest of completion of the episodes, we'd get a call or an email. And we, I mean, Eric, where he would say, wait, we have to, we have to implement a couple of uh, of this guy's notes. And we're like, oh, we got his notes before. And it was like the head of the network at the time. Well, he uh, didn't give his notes before, but he, here are his notes now. That's politics. That's network politics right there. 
yeah. yeah. So um, we knew that they, everything was going quickly. But they were, uh, as far as being different from one regime to the next, during the season, they generally try to keep things going as it was. They're not going to dramatically make a shift midseason in general because the scripts are already written and the shows are already shot from when this new regime comes in. So they need to analyze what's been done, what's being delivered, what the notes were before, and how they want. They they might start giving differing notes in the script stage and in the cut stage where they can make shifts here and there if they have a different outlook on where the end result is going to be for that season. But there's only so much of a shift it could be. Mm-hmm. Right. Did you ever find that there was headbutting in terms of maybe not the bosses swapping spots but you have a network and you have a studio right you have two different entities the, the studio is warner brothers and at this time the network is uh wb soon to be WB. cw was there any who, who who's who's the highest ranking official in that case i mean was there any headbutting between those guys it, it's the network the network is the one that's buying the show the network's the one that's putting it on their platform so ultimately it's the network's final call the studio can, in their best efforts, try to discuss things further if there's creative differences, if there's uh, certain things that are... In general, the studio should be acting as the producer's partners, the partners in the show, in creating the show. It's the studio, essentially the studio's money. We say the network is buying it, but the studio is the one that's putting up the budget. Right. Uh, which is why the studio is the one that ultimately owns that product. Right. Right. Question. So now you're deep into season one. Like, like Robbie asked you, you, you know, you got, you got the back nine or whatever it is. You got a full season of TV. You don't know about your network. This is episode 18. So thus far, this question kind of encompasses all of the episodes, but do you have a favorite, a season one standout episode, a favorite episode? Um, I don't have one standout when, it, it, you know what, when, I was told we were going to be doing this episode. This is one that doesn't necessarily stand out, but it's no knock on the episode. It's just that there was so many. The ones that stand out the most are sort of the ones that are more of the outliers, the ones that either had the major problems that you don't want to remember, but you just do for everything that you've put into it, or the ones that were great and you love any portion of it that just sticks out in your brain. Right, right. But looking back on this episode, there's there are a bunch of things that just stick out that I, I remember very clearly. It all just kind of meshes together because a lot of things I was just, oh, I thought that was in a different episode. Well, what, what are those things? Let's talk about that. So what, what stood out to you as you reviewed this episode? Right off the bat, when they drive into Fitchburg, this is just kind of... Uh, is something that sticks in my brain, probably nobody else's, because I actually had a still frame of it on my board throughout my time there. It was when the boys drive in to the town, Fitchburg. Yeah. There's a street sign that says Fitchburg, and then there's a big billboard that says, Welcome to Fitchburg. Right. Well, there were different departments that built those signs, and there wasn't a clear discussion of the spelling of Fitchburg, <laughs> because you could spell Fitchburg several different ways. There's one way to spell Fitchburg, Wisconsin. But in the same shot, two different signs spelled differently. Oh, my God. That's I didn't awesome. notice that. So we had the visual effects that to fix it. But uh, it, that was something that I had before rewatching the show. I would not have been able to tell you what episode that was in. And it was wow. I, I saw it every day. Anytime I looked at my board. That's oh, great. Funny. That's great. Well, the monster in this one I thought was particularly scary. Oh. Um, it really, you know, scary costumes, scary effects. Um, hey, Riley, there... question, question for you. Yeah. Did it remind you of that Star Wars character? You know, the Emperor, like the Force is strong with you. Totally. You know, like, yeah. Who's yeah, that? What's sure. that character? Uh, Chance, Chancellor Palpatine, who becomes Palpatine. Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah. Becomes the Emperor, evil Emperor. Uh, yeah, for sure. Now that freaked me out. I watched it late at night last night. It got me. Um, we is there? Always, so, always. Playing this monster, yes, it was a, a guy, the actor, the doctor, but the actual monster coming in like that was yeah. uh, a stunt person, stunt actor, uh, a female, Jeannie Eppers. Really? Is a, like a world-renowned stunt actor. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, what a great piece of trivia that is. She's she's won awards. She's uh, been honored many times over. So was the doctor ever the monster? Only when the, the monster? Only when the bill showed up. <laughs> That's insurance. 
the doctor knew in his mind who he was. He was always right. putting on the right, but he never quite played the monster in real life. No, I don't believe so. Um, what's what monster in season one stands out for you as being sort of a one of your favorites? I, I love when the yellow eyes goes into dad and. No, yeah. we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten to Yellow Eyes, have we, Rich? No, not, not at all. Wait. Can't wait. I've heard a lot about that. Can't wait to, to go there. So just when dad comes back, it, it really brings so much just some emotional tension. He shows the love between the boys and, the, and their dad and, and yeah. the connection there. It just instills so much. And not necessarily like monster, monster, but it, right. it's just um, the way he plays it. It was just iconic moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Anytime Jeffrey Dean's in it, too it's, it's just so heights. good yeah although it should be seeing him like so clean shaven because they're playing yeah, the yeah. flashback young, of it all young young jeffrey dean yeah absolutely i i wonder if uh jensen's team is you know robbie thompson and them are watching these episodes to get clearer pictures of what they want the prequel to be that'll clean be interesting shaven. to see clean shaven yeah, yeah but i mean in terms of what the story they're going to be telling when it gets yeah hopefully gets picked up yeah, they're definitely having those discussions if they haven't already for uh, what season one going to be. Yeah, networks generally want to know what the story arcs are going to be. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have to have a whole bible that goes along with it. Yeah. I do think that, like to Rob's point, this monster was especially, and maybe because the monster's relationship was with children, mm. also makes it incredibly eerie. Yeah, you know what I mean. It does, and and because their sickness manifests as uh, pneumonia. I actually had pneumonia last year. Um, oh God. <laughs> I've gotten it a couple of times. But last year, I got it during the summer. So Oof. in my head, watching this episode, I was like, huh, maybe it was a uh, Striga. <laughs> yeah. yeah, forget COVID. Yeah. No, we're, just talking about the, we're just talking about the flashbacks with, with Jeffrey Dean. And one of the things that falls on the post-production team is sort of the look of what that, you know, obviously the makeup and hair and do, do their thing. But the, the, the color correction. That goes into this, and I think I think Sparky is the is the sparkle is, is sparkle sparkles the color correct Stephen P. Argo. So huh. sparkle the the uh, our color corrector for the entire time the show was running. Obviously, he's the he's the one dialing up the knobs. But who picks the palette? Because I know that's it's it's, it's got to be something that's consistent, right? So is that you? Uh, it's it's just sort of a collaborative effort. We talk about it at the script stage. What we want those. Anytime it's a flashback or um, in this show, if we go to an alternate time, anything that's different than normal present day, even going to present day in French Mistake, do we want it to look like the show or do we want it to look more reality-based, give a different hue to it? So anytime there is a flashback, it's, it's a discussion from top down that we talk about throughout the entire process because production on the set they want to know if they need to light it differently and wardrobe and set dressing what kind of colors and then every step of the way when we're in just rough cuts it gets discussed again um the director has input the writer has input um well i was going to ask about the director the director is not i mean any tv director is a guest in the house unless it's you know phil sagrisha or bob singer or or kim manners unless it's a Um, producing director yeah right so how much of a, how much of a voice does the director, a guest director, have in that decision making, or is that something they just go, "Hey, whatever you decide, I'll I'll make it work." I mean, where, where do they fall in that in that conversation? It it, it varies. It uh, it varies on a lot of things. Uh, we have the discussions up front, and when we're we're prepping, and it, it, there are certain questions uh, in the uh, initial meetings that. The director fields and says their opinions, and there are certain discussions. There, there's also a tone meeting before we even go to camera that the executive producer, writer, DP, and director have, and they sit down and talk about every single scene, the themes of the scene, and everything that the producers and creator of the show or showrunner at the time feel that the look, the tone, the style, and all of that stuff for every scene, even right. a pre- present day scene, regardless. Talk about shot lists if they, depending on how granular. They want to go. So for color correction like this, and first season, by mid-season, we, it, the pilot had a very interesting, very unique look uh, mm-hmm. that um, uh, our DP for the pilot, Aaron Schneider, great, brought a awesome look to the show, very unique and very fitting for the subject matter. And then trying to uh, reestablish that, but on a, uh, on a series schedule. Everything gets factored into time and budget and resources available to do it within that 
time and budget. So everything becomes sort of a negotiation or a compromise or how can we give you that same look in the shorter amount of time that we have? You don't have as, as much time to set up because a pilot gets shot over 12, 15 days, whereas mm-hmm. an episode gets uh, seven to eight days. Eight if you're lucky. Uh, right. Sometimes you get a second unit or a half day added onto that. So it's the script is the same length. It just all has to be done in a short amount of time and a yeah. smaller budget. So throughout first season, the surge is the, the finding the what works best and going in and out of scenes. I, I would say first season, but throughout the first few seasons, you'll see that color correction shifted quite a bit from one season to the next. So some of that from season one is season two looks very different where it was a new regime in the network where they wanted us to put more color in, into it and not so dark, not so moody, uh, not so contrasty. Uh, and then the end of season two, it was just like, eh, I think we leaned into those notes a little too much. Let's pull it back some. Um, I thought the hospital in this episode was especially dark and bleak. You know, it, it works in a horror sort of way. It's, it's definitely, it wasn't ER, you know what I mean? It didn't look like, no. or, you know, or Chicago Med or whatever the shows that are on now in hospitals. Grey's uh, Anatomy. There you go. Yeah, that was it was dark and bleak. There weren't a lot of people around. The boys could easily get in and out of rooms. Uh, new New Amsterdam. The way yeah. Supernatural is and throughout the run is every episode can be different than the one before or the one after. They don't all have to be. And what I loved about the show and what it, why I wanted to stay with it for so long is because it, it has that variety. Because mm-hmm. you can have a cartoon episode, you can have an episode where the boys come into reality and are their actual selves. You mm-hmm. can have an episode where you jump from from sitcom to drama to different shows that are on TV at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and there's so many different variations. Um, the the Ghostfacer episode where they we are fully immersed into a reality show mm-hmm. right so every episode is needs that discussion that brings us back to color like how do we how can we sell this more realistically how can mm-hmm. we make this more of uh, just a fun experience for people that are watching and so every episode including this one including uh something wicked it's you got to make them spooky. You got to make build the drama in, in one way or another. And you can always uh, scare people with adding more shadows. Just yeah, it's what you don't see that's scarier yeah. than what you do. Well, speaking of shadows, the something wicked, you know, the really the scariest uh, recurring shot in this episode, I think, is that oh. the tree, the tree that then becomes that claw branch like hand on the window, you know, terrifying, kind of remind me of poltergeist a little bit. There's some- yeah. And we have those discussions and sometimes it's even written in the stage direction in the, in the script stage from the writers. And that was something that was, we wanted it to do that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't remember if it was specifically written in the script in this episode, but yeah, we definitely have those discussions of what are some of the iconic moments from movies and stuff that scared the crap right. out of you in the past. And what, yeah. Because we wanted to have that same visceral reactions. We we want it to evoke those kind of memories. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to be sometimes be too close to it. But right. sometimes the way this show is, we do. We want to mimic that stuff. Yeah. And this season one, season one really does that a lot. There's a lot of sort of callbacks to classic horror films, callbacks to The Shining and, you know, um, obviously Poltergeist, things like that. Um, so the music in this one, I thought was uh, especially kind of haunting. Jay Gruska in uh, rare form uh, in this one really leans into the piano. Um, I thought that there's also this sort of weird, almost out of tune kind of guitar pluck at one point. Is that a discussion? Do you go, hey, Jay, let's lean into that in this episode? Or what's your conversation with the music? music uh the the composer i so in general i just because i can't speak specifically about this one episode but because we switched from chris to jay they they each watched each other's episodes and it was great having them because again on this type of show because every episode could be different there were some themes that were consistent from episode to episode where they borrowed and lended to each other and from each other but there was also the episodes that were kind of off to themselves. So not only were we playing with color and having those discussions with color and how we could utilize that to tell our story, but also uh, the sound and music. Are there stock sounds? Are there are there 
obviously the recurring music themes, Chris and, and Jay have talked about that a little bit, but are there stock sounds, sound effect sounds? And, and I know that libraries change dramatically from the start of the show. You know, you guys probably had, your editors probably had a small library and now then they had a, a massive digital arsenal by the end of season 15. But is there a gun sound, a shotgun sound, like Sam's bag? Are there spe- sounds that are specific to the Supernatural palette? Yeah, actually, that would be, um, uh, that could be a podcast in, in and of itself, just talking about the sounds of the show. Uh, I had mentioned last time I was with you guys that um, they're like uh, Bruce and I were like the only two, I specifically said crew members that were on since the pilot. But speaking of sound, there are a few people in our sound department at Warner Brothers that did work on the pilot and, and throughout the series. So I, I just wanted to specify that. No, we'll have to get those guys on. I don't know, Rob, yeah. you, you met those dudes anytime you went to do ADR. Like, those sure. would be the guys in the room. Yeah, yeah. You know? I always loved those guys. Yeah. That was the only, only time I saw them. And, and these are awesomely talented people that were huge parts of, of the entire series. So Michael Lachey was our sound supervisor. He had a team working with him. There's Karen Foster and Mark Meyer. I believe both of them also worked for the pilot and throughout the series. So we would have the discussions in the spotting sessions where Michael would bring up, wait, what city are we in? Okay, because I hear in the track, you guys put in loons. Why are there loons? Are are you trying to tell the audience (laughs) that we're near uh, a lake? Well, yeah, near a lake. And and the assistant editor is like, I just put birds in there. I don't know what they are. (laughs) I love it. That's great. Side conversations of specifically what the bird species, what time of year is it? Yeah. But we would make fun of him. But he was a master. He's an artist at this because Mm -hmm. it it is a very different sound where different parts of of the country, different states, even different parts of any individual state, you're going to have different sounds that are going to tell you, are you near water? Are you near a highway? Yeah. Um, So the recurring sounds, there was always the ones that always came up. So Dean's gun, the the end of uh, an act as that metallic. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. That, that's an easy one to pull out. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the things that were recurring, they would always bring that same sound back. Cell phones. Um, and, and the different guns had different sounds, I'm sure. Like the guns they used in this to, to kill the monster were what, this like concentrated whatever bullets that had special things in them. I can't remember what they called them, but that's got to be different than a normal shotgun, I would imagine, you know? Yeah, whether it's salt or, or yeah. the uh, demon-killing gun or um, any type of gun has different sounds. And that's something else that would also be brought up in the spotting session. Uh, It sounds like you're using a revolver to make that sound. Right, right. Isn't that a Glock that we see on camera? Another annoyed sound editor. Yeah, man, it's just like, I got other to do. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are the sound guys. I'm not a gun guy. (laughs) You guys put a gun in there. Uh, uh, Next time I'll just say gun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'll just go click, 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 snap, poop. Um, hey, we, ha- we have question. to get the sound guys. We have to get the sound guys on. We'll, we'll get those I mean, guys. That, that's pa- fascinating stuff. You know, just to, just to, for our listeners, just to clarify, like there's the composer who's making original music, and then there's this uh, music supervisor who's, who's really clearing all the the pre-made songs that they use, you know, the licensed music. Yeah, licensed music, Kansas and what have you. And then there's the sound designers who's making the the bird chirps and the the dialogue sound right and uh, the cars driving by outside. It is such uh, detailed work that if you if you get to visit a, a post sound studio Mm-hmm. It looks like they've got an orchestra of tracks I mean, because the tracks are enormous. They've cut every stem, every line of dialogue is isolated. All the sound effects. I mean, it's you. You take for granted when you click on the boob tube that you're watching yeah. something and like, oh, the sound is there. It's not. They've built this entire wall of sound from the ground up mm-hmm. behind the dialogue that they've recorded. You know, they're not recording the live stuff. So it's it's really fascinating. We will absolutely get those guys in here. One final question. And and Rob kind of touched on this with the monster being creepy, but I'm just curious myself. That effect the, of the glowing mouth, any of that practical or all VFX after the fact? Because I feel like there would need to be a light source coming out of the mouth. Uh, for this episode, I think we did try to do something practical in the mouth and we enhanced it with visual effects. Yeah. And is that Ivan doing that? Ivan up in Vancouver doing that? Um, so this was season one. This is a whole nother discussion because season one, we had a visual effects team that Ivan was the visual effects supervisor with Stargate. 
a okay. visual effects facility. Before he took over? For, starting in season two, we switched over to bring everything in-house. We okay. bought all the equipment and Ivan was the visual effects supervisor for uh, our, essentially another department that was totally wow. dedicated to us. They had trailers set up next to the stages and for the rest of the run of the show. Right. Was Stargate, Stargate you say was the name of the first season, the company? And were they in LA or in Vancouver? They're all over the place. So okay. now they have um, facilities in a lot of different cities. They, but we had somebody that was LA based that would come to us for our remote calls and conversations. We would have spotting sessions for visual effects also. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will tell you, as a guy who, and Rob, you're, you know, as a couple of actors, I would have been none too pleased if they walked over and like, okay, here's this battery operated light bulb. Put this back uh, on your, in the area of your throat that makes you barf. I'm along those lines. It wasn't bad. I don't think it was battery operated. It might've been one of those little glow sticks that they put back there. Ugh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and it glowed a little bit from what I remember, but we still certainly wanted to enhance that more. Yeah. Yeah. When you had that, uh, the, uh, the stunt lady doing that. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, Todd, thank you for coming in and talking to us. You, you're a man yeah. who who knows all, and you're yeah. either you either have like a steel trap mind, or we're doing you a great service by making you recount all this, and you're going to live longer and have a clearer memory uh, as you grow old. <laughs> Todd Arenauer, thank you so much, buddy. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, thanks, Todd. We'll do it again. Yeah. This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like... Dr. Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means, free stuff. Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strife Force's most generous event to date. So don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so Todd just opened a bunch of doors that we got to walk through at some point. We got to get the sound guys yes, in here. Yes, and I want to get the, uh, the colorist in there to talk about that. 100%. Yeah. I want to get Sparkle in here. You know, he color corrected every single episode Is that of Supernatural. Right? Yeah, that's an interesting guy to have in here. Stephen P. Arkle. Yeah. Sparkle. Uh, amazing. Yeah, um, awesome. yeah, so great. And great to have Todd on again. He's a, a wealth of information. I love that he remembers all this stuff. Not only is he a wealth of information about uh, the episode we were discussing, he was correcting us on some of the foibles from our previous episode of this podcast. Yeah, more of, He's like a podcast expert. Yeah, more of that. Well, you know what else has a lot of information for us? A little section I like to call mythology. Mythology. Um, so it's a type of Albanian vampiric witch, as Sam points. What is? The Striga. Uh, is a type of Albanian vampiric witch, as Sam points out. A striga is a kind of witch. 
They're Albanian, but legends about them date back to ancient Rome. They feed off of Spiritus Vitae. Spirit what? Vitae. It's Latin. It translates to breath of life, kind of like your life force or essence. Uh, can I say I never knew I never knew that vampire could be an adjective? Vampiric? Vampiric witch. Yeah, I always tell people that, have you met my friend Rich? He's, uh, he's kind of vampiric, beard. I guess that makes sense because I always refer to you as Frankenstein-esque. <laughs> Frankensteinian. <laughs> <laughs> and score. Uh, <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> However, the striga, uh, the male word for striga is shrigu or shrigen, according to- So you are a striga. That's right. Aww. According to lore, it's only mentioned that the Striga can only give the life force back once it is taken. So when the children are healed when they kill the Striga, that's just something that uh, Supernatural kind of made up. Yeah, but, but that's the Striga. What about the Shrigan, the dudes? That's a whole different thing. They're just, yeah. you know, out playing pool all night, partying with the fellas. Classic Shrigan. Yeah. Get ready. It's time for Fun Facts! The Sam and Dean dealing with unfinished business from their youth was a separate element that the writers thought made sense for the Striga story. It sure did. Did you know that the boys and the old lady call the inverted cross in her room a crucifix? A crucifix is a cross with the image of Jesus. This was just a regular cross. Shame on them. Mm. Uh, the old lady, the old creepy lady with the uh, cross in her room, is staying in room 237, and that's a reference to the movie The Shining. It's the room where young Danny's attacked by the old decaying woman. Okay, this next fun fact, I want you to know that I figured out in the middle of the show. Did you? I was watching it and I was like, wait a minute. Wow. And I paused and I Googled it. I found a screenshot and I'm like, I'm sure they're going to know this for our, our podcast, but I'm going to have it in my back pocket if they don't. Amazing. I knew it immediately. And that is this. North Haverbrook, Brockway, and Ogdenville, all towns that Sam mentions as places where the Striga had previously attacked kids. He finds these towns when he's looking at the microfiche in the library. Well, these three towns are all from a Simpsons episode. That's right. This is a Simpsons reference. It's referencing an episode called Marge versus the Monorail. It's the episode when a character played by Phil Hartman plays a, a, a like a the music man, like a snake oil salesman okay. who comes to town and convinces everybody that they need a monorail, and he sings a song about it, and it's so fun and funny and classic. And uh, this is from that episode. All three of those towns, what, like how, our cities, they're cities that that the monorail he, connects to. He he mentions he's like I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook, and by gum it put them on the map. That's what he says in the thing, and then shows the map of it. And, just, it. and that's in there because at the time, Eric Kripke was a big Simpsons fan. And so is Richard Spade And that was, of course, Simpsons, oh, huge. That, during, that, during that era, that was Simpsons' golden era. Yeah, well, golden it really era. was. It was the best stuff oh, ever. Oh, that's amazing. Anyway, so I want the record to reflect that I knew a fun fact before it was handed to me on a sheet of paper. Maybe the last time, but I knew a fun it's fact. It's been noted. I spotted something, it's Rob. It's been noted. Sir, it's been put in your file. Which one? Rob Zero. Well, I had, wasn't playing, but okay. The title of the episode, of course, is a reference to Shakespeare's Macbeth, which contains the line, toil and trouble, fire burns and cauldron bubble, by the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Not nearly as cool as a Simpsons reference, just saying. Well, and I already knew that one. I knew that uh, that it was from Shakespeare, so Rob won, which one? Tied up. Of course you did, It's, it's all tied. Theater, <laughs> nerd. Theater nerd. Theater nerd. <laughs> Ray Bradbury published a book in 1962, the year Rob graduated college, called Something Wicked This Way Comes, about two friends and their experience with a carnival magician who feeds on people's life force. Uh, how's your career going as a carnival ma magician, by the way? Uh, great. I'm getting paid in cotton candy. I've never been better. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And don't forget to tell your friends. We're doing a podcast you, and you're listening to it. Don't keep it a secret. This is not a secret. You go tell your friends. Shout out from the mountaintops, unless you're not mountain adjacent, in which case just get somewhere safe but elevated where the voice will carry and uh, speak from your diaphragm and be sure people know about it. In fact, do yourselves a solid. Hey, do us a solid. Tell your friends, make them listen. You listen, then you follow, which is parlance that really means subscribe in podcast language. Right. So follow the podcast, which means subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you any money. Uh -uh. Podcasts are free, but nonetheless, follow, which also means subscribe. And then you'll get to hear it when it drops. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Yep. This episode stars Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester and Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester. 
The guest stars are Jeffrey Dean Morgan as John Winchester, Ridge Kenipe as young Dean. If I butchered that, Ridge, my sincerest apologies. Alex Ferris as young Sam. Adrian Ho as Dr. Heidegger. Something Wicked was written by Daniel Nauf, directed by Whitney Rancic. Editing by David Ekstrom. Music by Jay Greska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of the episode featured two great songs, but hell if Rob and I know, because we watched the dumb thing on Netflix and don't get to hear the real music, but if you watched it on TV or on the DVD, you heard Rock Bottom by UFO and Road to Nowhere by Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, sounds like that would have been great. Wouldn't that have been cool? Yeah. The episode first aired on April 6th, 2006. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spate Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Haida Holscher. And edited and associate produced by Trey What's that, dude? Music provided by Tim Wynn. This episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios, the piano tuner, and every child I have in every room in this And house. my bookshelf wallpaper. Bingo. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. For news on this and other podcasts, follow Story Mill Media on Instagram and Twitter. Podcast credits. <laughs> don't have to read <laughs> you don't that have to part. Read that if only we could find out. Oh, if there was a mm. machine where we could look that up. We could access his mm. resume. Something Wicked was written by Daniel Nauf, directed by... <laughs> Ridge Canipe. What? Yep. What do you, any, any guesses? Canipe? Canipe? Can, what do you guys... Uh, canopy? Sucks when you're trying um, to like uh, burn somebody <laughs> and screw up both words. How's your career as a Kunavul Madhuchin? Oh, boy. Hey, everybody. I'm Rob Benedict. And I'm Rich. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Who are How you? do you mess up your own name? Oh, we've got a blooper already. Oops. Adrian. Oh, as Dr. Heidegger. <laughs> or, or is it Adrian? Oh, or is it Adrian? As... <laughs> it's spelled Adrian. A oh, sorry. Steve. Adrian Ho. <laughs> Steve, did you make this name up? That's very Frankensteinian of you. <laughs> well, oh my God. it's on brand. So great. So then you'll get that off to Steve and, and away we go. Story Mill Media. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.